Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good buddies Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Rich Holden. Richard and Michael. DeBase you just combined us. You Richard. made a whole portmanteau. <laughs> a portmanteau. That's awesome. Richard and Michael debate and deliberate the most ubiquitous aspects of a variety of topics. And this time around, I am the I am the walrus. Hold on. Wait. 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 A, wait. A, wait a second. Uh, uh, updating. Well, my, uh, what a long stretch to go for our topic, which is the Mount Rushmore of nonsense lyrics, and we, we kind of. I guess came up with this together and uh, Richard, what compels you about nonsense lyrics? Well, I started thinking about, cause your original topic was songs that have sha la 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 in them. I believe. Yeah. Or la la la. Yeah. Sure. Or la la la. And I, that just got me thinking that there are a lot of songs where the lyrics mean they're either garbage gibberish words or they're mm-hmm. actual words, but the words don't mean anything. Okay. So, okay. It kind of that kind of got me thinking, like, boy, that's that could be a pretty. You may have stumbled upon a pretty good topic there, Jeff. Oh man, <laughs> even a blind chicken pecks up a piece of grain every once in a while. Well, why don't we jump jump right into it? I, I guess what I think was kind of interesting about it is I was even I was listening to uh, uh, the most esoteric man in rock and roll, Michael Stipe, talk about his uh, career mm-hmm. writing songs with REM and saying that sometimes uh, uh, one of the other. Uh, songwriters in the band would come up with something and then say, okay, now Mike, you got to write some lyrics. And he was just so lazy that he would often write a chorus and then the, the, or sorry, the verse. And then the chorus was always, yeah, 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 yeah. He would just add some yeah, yeahs and some oohs. And uh, there's some of the REM, some have some of the best songs on the planet, but a lot, a lot, a lot of the, it has a lot of oohs and ahs and yeahs and, and stuff in it. So um, um, that's, one thing that I thought was kind of interesting or um, ironic, but uh, not much of a reason to think of it, of the topic. But why don't we just jump into it? And uh, Richard and Jeff kind of stumbled into it, so Michael starts. Okay. Um, my first, what the first song that really came to mind was the um, the song by the Sherman Brothers in um, the Walt Disney classic uh, "Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious" from uh, Mary Poppins. Oh. That's fun. <laughs> As a word and a sound and nonsense things that just kind of mean, you know, great. And um, uh, such a popular song of like, I think it's one of those songs and words that are sung that are just fun to sing and fun to try to spell out. And, you know, obviously, really, Google has the biggest thing that Google has contributed to our society. It's just like <laughs> auto filling in when you're trying to type out supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and you just like i just assume they've got it right at this point <laughs> i don't know it links to a wikipedia article yeah. and just like okay yeah i can yeah. see we're going uh nailed it okay i got to s but um uh reading just uh a little briefly on like the origins of it um i guess the um the sherman brothers kind of have uh kind of you know, it's they're like the Stan Lee of like making yeah. up things as things change. Uh, it looks like that they um, it may have come from some, some sort of summer camp that was kind of passed down from year to year, or it may have been something that they had made up as children, or something that just made up for the the movie itself. But um, mm-hmm. I love the idea of just like a really fun, silly, long made up word that the song is a it's you know so self-referential it's it's about this word that doesn't really mean anything and it just sounds crazy and 
fun for kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely. Has, I think it's supposed to be kind of in the genre of a pearly band song, or they come across a uh, in the park a group playing it. And I, I think of the uh, uh, Michael. You've got British uh, heritage, the kind of tradition of uh, a hokum well, song. I, I come, I come from the Super Cali uh, fragile <laughs> yeah. uh, region upon, of, up, upon yeah. world. Uh, part yeah, of oh, England, oh, and oh, I know oh, that um, I have other family that's from the um, Expedale uh, Ocean uh, upon sea. So all of them just stick together. They somehow manage to, uh, you know, yeah, they they coexist. But the the it does seem like like a a kind of a Blarney or like a a Hokum made him up silly song that uh, yeah. that band that it that is playing in the park might kind of originate too. So yeah, what a fun song. I love the Sherman brothers. Like there's Robert and Richard and like one of them was like, yeah, uh, Richard was like the music guy, the younger guy. Robert was the guy who fought in world war one and almost died and maybe oh, stabbed geez. a guy. <laughs> so, he was really brooding and like, gloomy and stuff like that. But he will have to kind of sit around and kind of come up with these lyrics to these songs, these kids songs, not the guy you would expect to write kids songs. Yeah, I, I thought that the uh, outtake version of this, which was super califragilistic, I killed a man, expialidocious. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. A little bit dark. Walt said workshop, the second part of that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, man, Freddie, what's your first choice? All right, my first choice is the uh, musical question. Who put the bump in the bump, shabump, shabump? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> the doo-wop song, also kind of, I guess, a novelty song written in, in 1961. Uh, performed by Barry Mann, co-written by him and Jerry Goffin. Um, and it's kind of a, a a spoof, I guess, if you will, on a lot of the doo-wop songs that were coming out in that era. You know, the whole idea is this uh-huh. guy is thanking the people who wrote the doo-wop songs that include who put the bump in the bump, ba-bump, ba-bump, or who put the ram in the ram-a-lama ding-dong. Yeah. Um, I have a, a comedy book that is a list of musical questions answered. One of the lists in there. <laughs> and the answer to the hoop at the bump and the bump, shabomp, shabomp, I think it was th- 3M. <laughs> which I thought was great. <laughs> the, the scientist, the technologist at 3M. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, at that um, time, was it kind of nostalgia? It was kind of looking back on the decade prior. Yeah, like I mean, it, it was it was 61, so it's kind of at the very end of the the doo-wop era it's mm-hmm. kind of like not quite we're not haven't quite hit the beatles yet but we're still a little bit removed from that mm-hmm. so there is probably a little bit of you at least have this back catalog of doo-wop songs with nonsense lyrics yeah to kind of draw from yeah and a previous uh episode we talked about the mount rushmore songs about money didn't we? Yeah, and that yes. was uh, rock songs. I think was most of what we came up with. But uh, the idea that rock as a genre had evolved enough that it could welcome nonsense, and that maybe it was about the posture and about the attitude more than about the the lyrical quality. Because who who was listening through their little AM radio at that time anyway to the lyrics? Yeah, that's true. Um, one thing I want to point out about this song is um, there was a lawsuit that came out um, against uh, Kathleen Hanna's band La Tigre mm. um, 
that was filed by uh, by Barry Mann because they kind of reused the lyrics who put the bump and the bump, shabump, shabump in their lead single Decepticon, which I think oh. was the first song that Le Tigre came out with. And Le Tigre basically came back and said, wait a second, how can you sue us when you were taking, I mean, there was already another song that it was who put the bump. There was another song that used Ramalama Ding Dong. Yeah. So these weren't even your original lyrics. How could you be suing us for this? And I think it got all got settled out of court. Yeah. But what a what a ridiculous song to try and claim copyright ownership over. <laughs> the, I, the, I like the idea of like rock and roll court. Where, yes. Where there's there's like, where it's like cool, cool judge. Just comes out and he's like, man, what are you trying to do? Dismissed. <laughs> Dismissed with prejudice. <laughs> all, all of the, all of, ah, oh, that would be a great, that would be a great show. And like, just, it's just ridiculous. Like, you know, there's so much like theft in music and there's so much borrowing and there's so much I'm um, sampling. Um, we're just like, just cool judge comes in. He's like, nah, not enough. Hey, it's, it's a good song though. <laughs> it either comes down to like, yeah, but it's a good song. Yeah, it's a good song. song. So, <laughs> so what do you want me to do? I would like to know how Barry Mann, who must have been God, and that song, that Lee Tugger song came out in 99. I mean, he must have been in his 70s at that point, I would assume. How did he come across Le Tigre? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I don't think that Riot Girl post-punk is something that would be on his usual wheelhouse. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Barry Mann is much more hip to the indie rock scene of the late 90s than I thought he was. Hmm. But I don't think so. Yeah. I I wonder if at that time electronic kind of monitoring of uh, music had emerged. I don't I don't know if it had enough that you could kind of a- analyze what the airway... Because was it Cashbox or I forget what it is that just counts... That listens to all the radio stations and counts how many times a, a song hmm. is played. So that's how they can can determine mechanical royalties or something. So huh. I don't know. There's um, yeah. there's a musician, a musical artist. A musician is the same word for musical artist. I don't. Know yes, I was going to say. It. <laughs> they, they, a long time ago, they came up with that with that term. They're like music maker. Well, we got to we got to work for that because I'm not saying that all the way through. Uh, there's a musician that Emily and I adore named uh, Jens Lechman, and um, we just saw him in concert recently. And um, about a month or two ago, all or a couple of his older albums, a couple of his uh, first albums, were taken down from Spotify and Apple Music because he had had um, he had sampled other musicians' music, and these are albums that are I don't know, ten, eleven, twelve years old, and he had um, re-recorded them. I mean, he, for some of them, you know, they kind of came. Some of the songs in the albums came back the same, and others he had kind of. Uh, been forced or asked or i don't know how how or you know uh algorithmically to be like this has too much of or not enough permissions for you know parts of other music so um oh i know that like i'm sure that um probably song services like spotify can go in and just kind of like identify bits of music and put them together and i bet it causes a lot of um unnecessary trouble wouldn't it have been embarrassing if he found it was he kept riffing off the same Ace of Base song? Like, Jens, mm. <laughs> this also has the sign by Ace of Base. <laughs> All my music? Half of your music. Okay, so that's funny. So why do they, do you think, so my dad was in a band in high school, 
and afterwards in high school. That's how he made his money. And he said this lead singer would frequently forget the words and just kind of make up stuff because they were like learning new songs all the time. Every week they had to have whatever the top 40, top 10 hits were. They sure. had to learn the new song every week. And he said half the time the guy was forgetting the lyrics and just going, you know. <laughs> Freestyling. Yeah, freestyling, just making up random stuff. Are rock lyrics even that important normally that no, we have to care about? Them? Yeah, not really. I mean, I one of the songs I had I, I had researched before. It's not on my list. Was "Wooly Bully" by Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs? Oh yeah, yeah. And apparently, he just they, there was an instrumental they had been working on, and the producer said, "Hey, it would be great if we had some lyrics to it." And he just mm-hmm. said. Just roll the tape. I'll come up with lyrics as we go. <laughs> Which, if you listen to the lyrics to yeah. Bully Bully, it, it 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 checks. Yeah, it's like Mommy told Sally or something. Hattie told Sally. Yeah. Let's not be L seven. Come and learn to dance. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just nonsense, pure yeah. and utter nonsense, and it's yeah. great. I love Sam the Sham. Have you heard the story about the end credit song for WKRP that it was? It was scratch yes. track lyrics, <laughs> and the producers just said, "Yeah, that's fine." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Michael, what is your second? My second choice is uh, another kind of fifties um, doo wop song um, with nonsense lyrics. Um, a song called "Rubber Biscuit" by a band called The Chips, and um, it's probably more well known uh, by uh, like a, a Blues Brothers cover that came out in like yeah. sometime yeah. in the seventies. Um, but I remember this version of the song that my dad had on some super old, like, I don't know, nonsense doo-wop tape that was just uh, really silly. And this is a song that features just this gaggle of really incredibly um, quickly spoken um, nonsense words. Uh, I, you know, instead <laughs> of playing it, it's like... Uh, uh, Cow, cow, lubba in a blubba, lubba. Hey, low, some did a lubba going. Hey, ride, want to take a lubba? And it's just over and over. And it's so silly. It's just uh, the original version is just so delightful. And uh, I could see how it would become like a perfect song for um, the Blues Brothers to cover um, much later on with their whole, you know, kind of doo wop, bluesy Mm -hmm. shtick. Because it's actually kind of comedic. I remember as a kid kind of not uh, understanding why the Blues Brothers in their early iteration weren't funnier than they were, because I thought this was a comedy thing. <laughs> but but yeah, Rubber Biscuit is actually kind of an, almost like a novelty song in that. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a song about uh, basically having no food and starving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the punchline is, uh, you know, if you have this sandwich that's made out of rubber you throw it against the wall and it bounces back and more more doo-wop nonsense yeah there's a wish sandwich (laughs) two pieces of bread you wish you had some meat you wish you had some meat yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i also remember uh, i think at some point my sister had um danced to this song too in one of her like dance recitals from the mid 80s or whatever so there's i think that there's just like this indelible Mm-hmm. Uh, childhoodness that's so built up into, I guess, two of my choices so far kind of feel like songs out of being mm-hmm. a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, that's interesting because uh, that's one thing that 
that music can, that rock can have is a little bit of playfulness, if not always innocence, it can have this uh, um, silly silliness and energy that uh, that isn't always present in a testosterone-driven medium <laughs> like like rock is. But, yeah, cer- certainly yeah. nothing serious about um, Rubber Biscuit. About, about either of the songs <laughs> that I've chosen so far. I love the era where this Rubber Biscuit could be on the same, um, you know, and that was Lawrence Welk singing <laughs> champagne, <laughs> champagne Bubbles Time, and now here's Rubber Biscuit. All right, man, Freddie, what do you do? What's yours? All right, so I'm going to stick in the world of kind of 50s, early 60s music. Um, and I'm going to go with uh, Tutti Frutti oh, by oh, Little all right. Richard. All right. Um, a, a thoroughly filthy song, if yeah. you actually interpret the lyrics any way that they're supposed to be interpreted. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not realize doing the research for this that the, uh, the Tutti Frutti a Rudy, mm-hmm. uh, originally when he was singing the song in clubs in the South, when he was working his way up, it was... The lyrics were actually "tutti frutti, good booty," <laughs> and the crowd would go nuts because this was, you know, wild. And yeah. Little Richard was the wild man, so he wound up revising the lyrics to do "tutti frutti, ah Rudy," yeah. which doesn't, which ah Rudy, Rudy apparently just means doing well. Oh, okay. So I mean, kind of jive speak or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. okay. Um. But yeah, the rest of the lyrics are, I mean, there's, I don't know how you interpret, I got a gal named Sue, she knows just what to do, other than being just strictly about sex. Yeah. And then you've got the wop bop a loo bop a lop bam boom part, which was really just Little Richard and basically doing a vocalization of the drum part that was happening at the same time. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So you build all, you take all these together and you've got you put it all together and you wind up with a song that Mojo Magazine called the most voted the number one most influential rock and roll song of all time. Wow, wow! And basically pointed to as the birthplace of rock and roll, mm-hmm. which you can really you know if you want to talk about musically, but also the spirit of the song. I think it's it's a very it's a very plausible choice. Mm-hmm. And part of what I love about it is hearing Pat Boone sing it. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Whitebread, Mr. White Buck Shoes, Pat Boone himself singing the yeah. Tutti Fruity, Oh Rudy, A Wop Bop, A Loop A Lop Bam Boom. And just remember when that song was about sex? That song is no longer about sex because Pat Boone just did it. <laughs> He neutered the song. Yeah, essentially. So it just goes to show even nonsense lyrics can have the meaning of the song change depending on who's interpreting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a kid, I don't think I knew that every time Paul McCartney went, Yeah, what that that, that exactly (laughs) meant. Yeah, (laughs) that he owed Little Richard uh, uh, $10. Um, Yeah, exactly. That's an interesting aspect of the uh, nonsense lyrics being a way to cross over into another commercial or commercial genre in order to to uh, make some money as an entertainer and, and sure. I imagine there there may be a number of those lyrics that were adjusted a little bit either in the the repertoire uh, or if it's a cover or like in by the 
by the lyricists if it was an original just to try to kind of make a little bit of dough out of that, yeah. out of that thing. Like I do wonder if um, Tutti Frutti was, was kind of a standard, you know, or if it came from, because there's a lot of songs like uh, Maybelline came, was an Ida Red and Ida Red was a uh-huh. standard. So like a lot, some of the early Chuck Berry and Little Richard things were, were pretty much just standards that they kind of re-lyricked to try to, to try to actually get some publishing. It's actually uh, named after the, uh, the uh, yogurt shop, Tutti Frutti. Tutti Frutti. Oh, that's it. Okay. It was actually, people don't know Tutti Frutti, their yogurt place came first. Oh, is that right? Oh, wow. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. So uh, we are at our halftime and we're going to invite you to download, rate, and review past episodes, maybe even swing out to our site. I need to work on the site a little bit more um, and kind of surf through, because you could probably type in um, music or rock and find a bunch of episodes that you could listen to and binge that genre. Uh, We could put uh, some big old tiles up the top and have categories like they do on uh, Netflix or Disney Plus or something like that. And then... Hey, we've had two, I think, music categories in a row or topics in a row. So if you have some other topics that you want to suggest to us that aren't even music related, we'd love to hear from you through our social handles, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and let us know what you think a good topic would be. Uh, That would be Rudy Tootie, very (laughs) goody. Oh my God. I apologize to Pat. Wait, hold on. on. Little Richard. The ghost of Little Richard is coming to sue us now. (laughs) My favorite favorite, uh, routine is Dana Gould Gould saying, you know, it's it's okay to have a voice of doubt in your head, but what if that voice of doubt was Little Richard? (laughs) You you think you could be an astronaut? You can never be no astronaut. Woo! Blush, you ugly. Woo! Oh well, that's funny telling okay. other people's jokes. Yeah, the other people's <laughs> true. Uh, I suggest go listen to Danny Nicole. All right, my, uh, Michael, what's your third? Okay, my third. It's not a great song. I'm putting it out oh, there. These have all I'm been not... great songs. Yes, these have all oh. been songs. These are songs. Uh, yeah, this song isn't a great song, but it's one that um, I'm amazed was so insanely popular for. Um, being kind of uh, terrible and having nonsense lyrics. It's Mbop by Hanson. Mm, oh, wow. Okay. Good one. Now, like I said, I don't enjoy the song. I don't particularly like the song. I understand why it's popular. It's very, it's catchy. You're a have, huge fan fan, man. You got to admit huge, it. Come I, on. <laughs> I am a fansom. A fansom. But uh, the song, which kind of rose out of nowhere in, God, 1997. I, You know, it's funny. I remember being like, uh, in college and being like, what is this song that's just on my like alternative radio station mm-hmm. and on MTV all the time? These three kids, these teenagers. And then yeah. the song that uh, I guess it's kind of about how you, uh, how things change, how, and all of a sudden things can be gone in a flash and the bop is like, Oh, it's gone. All of a sudden your, your youth is spent. I mean, these guys were what? 13 to mm-hmm. 17 or 18 and they're already singing songs about getting old which is god that's so depressing but um is that what you think about when you're a teenager suddenly aging out <laughs> <laughs> i don't know but um and it was just a song that was just so insanely popular and had just this 
this mbop baduba dop lyric that repeated three or four times in the chorus mm-hmm. that it it just it's like this mind worm that just um like all these kind of other songs that we'd mentioned just this thing that kind of carries with you and you just can't get rid of and it's just like it's doesn't it's a song that i think it's our lyrics that are supposed to mean something but also almost feel like um placeholder type lyrics yeah. like you're trying to figure out what you're gonna have later in a song like i was reading yeah. about um i don't know if this is on your choice uh Susudio by uh uh phil collins no it's phil not collins. on my list but i did i did look into it a little bit but like he like you know was writing the song and then wrote down uh studio so something's gonna go in here to rhyme or to whatever and then like he wrote the song and then never came and then came was like oh well i guess i'll just keep this and it doesn't have to it's like this weird placeholder lyric to stand in for something and it doesn't have to necessarily mean anything and i wonder how often that uh if this was a kind of like that where it's just like a nonsense lyric to fill the space of something that's going to come back to you later but then it's just mm-hmm. this becomes the lyric yeah i don't know where it landed on the charts but i mean number one baby number one yep so oh. I, just, I just read about it in the uh, number ones column that i've been talking about on wow. stereo gum um i didn't realize that it was uh it was uh produced by the dust brothers who had produced um paul's boutique for the beastie boys mm-hmm and uh Odelay for Beck. Was it a, a remix or was it the the actual track? The actual track it was the album, wow. or at least that, that song was produced, co-produced by the Dust Brothers. So you've got this like serious, like you know, the you know, with these this artist, this producer with this serious kind of alternative meets hip hop kind of cred to it mm-hmm. doing mbop. But you can hear it kind of in the song too, because it's got these like break beats and it's got this scratching yeah. and it's kind of got a lot of samples kind of layered on top of each other. So you can hear where it's got a kind of a lineage with all that. But of course, mm-hmm. it's Mbop, so it's just such a silly song. Yeah, you just don't anticipate it having that kind of that kind of those kind of names attached yeah. to it. I guess by adding the bop, they were besting the crash test dummies who four yes. years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> oh man another another case of uh <laughs> of uh, rock and roll chord yeah. your honor my clients i like that it's turned into uh con- that country chicken that country space chicken from futurama my clients have clearly they stole the mm part of bop big i want to be the bailiff out of it be like big bopper here you said what we're suing who <laughs> <laughs> All righty. How you much for damages? I'm... Mental <laughs> and royalties. Oh, oh honey, gold. This is. I just want to be the Hepcat bailiff. I'll <laughs> rise in the courtroom for the honorable, the master of disaster, the Ayatollah of rock and roll, a cool judge. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> oh man! And then in slides Precious. like a like a marketing character, like a Ch- Chester Cheetah meets Fonzie meets Poochie. <laughs> no, he's cool in that. 
How awful would be like one one lawyer who takes it way too seriously, like everyone else is just having a good time and the crowd yeah. is there and it's got you know like uh, flashing lights and uh, you know like dry ice and things yeah. that go off and then there's this super serious lawyer that's just like I'm just citing a precedent of um you know, uh, Johnson Johnson versus um, Coltrane. Uh, you know, uh, 1957, where it's like, oh, what is going on? Get him out of here. A trap door opens and he's gone. Everyone's just like, why, why is Marsha Clark here? Yeah. That's strange. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it's like, don't, don't worry. No matter what verdict come to, comes out, it's always cool, man. <laughs> okay, Manfredi, what do you got for your third? Oh, I don't know that I can top that. Um, <laughs> my third choice is "Do Do 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 Da 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 Da" by the Police. I was waiting for uh, that yeah. one. Yeah, it had to happen at some point, and of course, being Sting, he's got a really convoluted, uh, uh, pretentious explanation for the song. Yeah, because was, why not? I feel like it's, him doing that has given us a break from lyrics about Nabokov and stuff like that. So. Well, and that's kind of what he said is. Here's his quote. The lyrics are, are about banality, about the abuse of words. And he was trying to make an intellectual point about how simple the simple can be so powerful. Yeah. No, you just came up with a bunch of silly nonsense words and decided to string a song together out of it. Let's, <laughs> but I mean, if you do listen to the lyrics, it, it has, it, I think it's akin to Silly Love Songs by Paul yeah. McCartney and Wings. Yeah. And it's it's that sort of song about how people people really love simple songs with a simple message. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to create one myself. Yeah. So it's kind of self-referential in that way. And of course, most people didn't get it and just thought that it was a ridiculous, stupid song. But it was catchy, so they liked it. Yeah. Most people didn't really think that deep into the lyrics. And Sting has later kind of come out and said, griped about it said well people didn't understand the point of the lyrics and da 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 i'm gonna rewrite it so people understand it better Hmm. it's like no you're gonna rewrite 15th century loot songs is what you're eventually (laughs) going to do i i can imagine it was it uh zenyatta mandatus like how many was this their second album i think what what yes like so by then they were probably playing stadiums and third third album third album and realizing nobody's fucking listening to yeah. lyrics, no matter what. Joni Mitchell said, I've danced in the Caribbean for weeks to that song. Huh, that's interesting. Um, well, yeah, the, the, when, when noted Caribbean music enthusiast Joni yeah. Mitchell. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Car- Caribbean. Via when I think Ontario. when I think ska and reggae, yes, I think middle-aged white woman from Ontario. Yeah. So, yeah, he does. He does kind of get a little bit deep into like poets, priests, and I forget whatever. whatever. It, yeah, it's still got it's it's still, it's still a sting, sting song, yeah. so it's got the stingness to it. Yeah, I was a, but, I was an English teacher. Yeah, yeah, just so you know. Yeah, smart guy right here, everyone. Uh-huh. Smart guy. He would not do well in rock and roll court. They'd <laughs> just be like, they would just be like, man, what's all this job you're talking? <laughs> Yo, man in the linen shirt over there, <laughs> <laughs> sitting in the the yoga pose. <laughs> you mean tantric? What? 
<laughs> I will say, I always thought Sting was the douche of the police. And then I saw an interview with Andy. Um, Andy Summers. Andy Summers and Philip, Phil, or Stuart Copeland and Sting. And Stuart Copeland won't STFU about how brilliant he is and mm. how the police are his band. And you see Sting just giving him side eye, just pointing to him the whole time. Like, who brought the nerd? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so maybe Sting wasn't so bad. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Michael Winfield, what's your All last right. one? I got two choices. Jeff, in my left hand is a choice, and my right hand is a choice. Which one do you want to do? Uh, I bet you've got a mean left in, when it comes to fights, so jab us okay. with that one. I'm going to jab you with... <laughs> ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, oh, wow. oh, nice. You, ha- wow. you had the choice. You had the witch doctor in one hand, and you had I am the walrus in the other hand. And oh, when I mentioned it at the top of the show, I thought, uh, um, but I'm I'm gonna go, and I realize it just ultimately becomes very thematic that all of my songs are like songs aimed at kids or yeah. have some sort of childish um, bent to them. But mm-hmm. um, uh, the witch doctor by um, David Seville, aka Ross. Oh yeah, uh, uh, Bagdasarian. The, the guy that invented the uh, chipmunks and yeah. creator and voice of the chipmunks and all that. Um, just another classic 1950s kind of comedy silly uh, song with uh, silly lyrics that don't mean anything that are um, basically the words of this kind of witch doctor's uh, crazy uh, incantation uh, trying to ensnare you to kind of make you fall in love with someone Hmm. and um you know i I do it's i think it's something that we talked about often enough is that like you know when rock and roll was first invented or when movies were first started coming out they people were just doing everything Mm -hmm. there was no especially with like rock music and um they were just like throwing it all you could have there was just like there were you know comedy monster songs and that was just like a thing that happened for a long time and i think that this sort of thing too um kind of is kind of touches on the realm of that but then it was like okay it's a kind of a rock and roll song and it's kind of nonsense lyric song and um made with goofy voices that given any other time would probably been on like the dr demento show unless it was probably also featured on the dr demento show later but um you know, I think this is a, just a super fun, you know, two-minute silly song mm-hmm. that, you know, kind of was, um, came back to life with uh, the Chipmunks doing it later, too. Yeah, I think he did, like, he kind of developed it. Was it after this song that somebody said, yeah, I like that song. Kind of sounds like Chipmunks singing. And then he was like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've also heard, like, Ross Bagdasarian's son all he ever did, somebody said that they worked for him or something like that. And they said all his entire life was just redoing chipmunk stuff that his dad had done. And so he was essentially a very entitled, wealthy person who's just had to put out grunge chipmunks and then, you know, like um, rap chipmunks and stuff like that. And they, I think they said he threw a stapler at, at their head or something. Oh, He's a tyrannical person due to his... Uh, uh, mm. Yeah, Ross Ross Bagdasarian Jr. Yeah, um, personal life. Um, yeah. Uh, so okay, cool. All right, what do you got, Richard? 
All right, so my last choice. Uh, we mentioned it enough, so we might as well uh, go with Michael's red right hand here and ah. uh, go with I Am the Walrus. Oh, right, yeah. okay. A song that incorporates, has the, uh, the, 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 the one-two punch, so to speak, of nonsense lyrics in the sense that they includes words and syllables that are just don't make up words. So the goo goo kachoo part. And then the actual words themselves make no goddamn sense whatsoever. So it's the combination of the two. It's the words that make no sense and the words that are not actually words. Yeah, I think this is such the superior choice. <laughs> mm. um, you know, it, you'll be shocked to know that John Lennon wrote this while inspired by LSD trips. Oh, that doesn't. Wow. Okay. I know it doesn't really doesn't really clock with him, but mm. <laughs> surprising. Um, and also the uh, Lewis Carroll poem, The Walrus and the Carpenter, mm-hmm. was the other uh, touchstone for him. And a big reason for him writing this song was that he was getting sick and tired of academics and scholars trying to do these like scholarly readings of Lennon and McCartney lyrics. Mm. So he decided to create a song with intentionally garbage, unintelligible lyrics to try and give people something to pour over. And what have we done for the last 50 plus years? Pour <laughs> over these lyrics, trying to find some sort of meaning in them. What dopes we are. So it's it's sort of the, the glass onion effect, I guess. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the whole song is is almost it mirrors the lyrics in some ways because the music of the song is, is got this very kind of like loopy loopy. turning back in on itself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's loopy. It's kind of not the structure doesn't, if you look at the chords, the structure is kind of really unusual and it's just, it's just different. So when you put it all together, it just, it shouldn't work because the lyrics don't make any sense. The music is all over the place yet. Somehow it's, I'm the walrus and it, and it works perfectly. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's an incredible, you cannot listen to that song and not enjoy it. It's just fun. It's just a fun song. I would say as a kid, when I first encountered this, I was as a young person, kind of, uh, it's silly. consuming, consuming all of the Beatles in a couple of years. And they, so their the compressed version of their kernel <laughs> their time had me going from you know she loves you yeah 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 to to this within like a year and and I remember I found this very scary this 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 uh, this track well in real life it was only like three years from I want to hold your hand yeah to this so I mean even yes even in real life yeah yeah Eve, Eve, yes your your uh, later sort of discovery of the Beatles was a compressed time frame, mm-hmm. but in, 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 in how it played out actual chronolo- chronology, mm-hmm. it must've been just, you know, it would be like if Justin Bieber started making like good vibrations, not yeah. the Marky Mark song, but the Beach Boys song. Mm-hmm. If he, if he had written that three years after he had debuted, mm-hmm. it's like that. Yeah. It's really interesting. I I I I feel like I, I think of other artists as just trying to get hits, but the Beatles had this very dynamic relationship with uh, an audience, with the with with the news people, with critics, mm-hmm. you know, and and responding to critical 
examination, and, and I can't think of other artists who even merited that much scrutiny as they did, and then kind of getting a little bit fatigued by that scrutiny and responding by putting out something obtuse to try to, <laughs> to, try right. to bait people or provocative to try to bait people. It's it's wild. Mm-hmm. I think we've got like uh, um, Pete Townsend as kind of like begging to be uh, evaluated as like an artistic <laughs> and mystical artistic genius, whereas the Beatles could not uh, could not shake that. Maybe because they're hanging out with the Mahi Rishi and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, drop, drop an acid with uh, with Bob Dylan. You're gonna yeah, you're gonna get that. That was this between this and a day in the life. Boy, I, I could dine on that for a long time as a little kid with the whole Paul is dead stuff and mm-hmm. and and the walrus and this and that. Boy, that was that was it. That was very intriguing. So it, it's still not nonsensical, but it almost has a for me a, le- a less playful and almost more. At the time, I was kind of getting it all kind of mixed up with Satanism and 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 persons in in the afterlife and stuff like that. So, huh. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I think it, the song almost has its own internal logic, even though there is no logical sense to it. Mm-hmm. If you just read the lyrics, it does, it's more of a tone poem than yeah. anything else. Yeah. And it certainly has a certain tone to it, even though, like I said, the lyrics are just utter mm-hmm. nonsense. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool, dudes. Uh, so I did try to do the thing I used to do where I find a theme throughout the whole thing. And then you guys are so, um, uh, have, such um um kind of six, six i guess uh distinguished palettes you know that 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 you're not easy to button down but like um, michael i think you even picked pinged it with yours the kind of nostalgia in your list the songs a lot of them seem like they could have been for kids or at least they're kind of like between supercalifragilistic rubber biscuit and mbop they almost seem like persons who are looking back to a simpler time or looking back to um uh, or wishing that they had something that they didn't have. So there's a fun nostalgia there. And I think uh, Richard, like the first uh, couple of yours were at least uh, just about uh, courtship <laughs> or seduction, you know, <laughs> kind of wanting to do it. So um, <laughs> let's go with who, who put the bump and the bump, shoe bop, shoe bop and tutti frutti. And then let's go with um, uh, witch doctor and mbop. And I will have to confess, I, I avoided, this was in the days where you could actually avoid somehow listening to a song in the radio. I avoided Mbop and Achy Breaky Heart somehow. <laughs> and you I, were in Kansas. I was in Kansas. Where, well, those, they were probably blasting them from a public address system yeah. in, in, when a tornado came. But the, the uh, Mbop is a pretty decent song, I, I have to say. It's a banger. I, I will, I will, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's a bop. Probably. It's literally a bop. It's a bop. I, it's one of those things that, that um, just kind of suffers from uh, the insufferableness of the three kids. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's, what are you going to do? The, I would even say the vocals kind song. of harken back to like a Jackson 5, you know, kind of the fun, his little soaring, little falsetto. Yeah. This has been the Mount Rushmore of songs with nonsensical lyrics. I'm always Jeff. I'm Richard. I am the walrus. <laughs> oh, yes! Hey! Good, 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 good.